the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Let me read you a quote. It says, I feel just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me, of God not being God, of God not really existing. Same person that said that said this, Jesus has a very special love for you. As for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see, listen and do not hear. Anyone know who said those things? That was Mother Teresa that that said those things. Today what I wanna talk to you about is I wanna talk to you about doubt. And I, I, I want to just uh, recognize that, that uh, everybody doubts sometimes. And I want to talk to you, what do you do about those moments in life when doubt comes? And, I, and unfortunately, uh, many times churches haven't been a safe place for people to wrestle with doubts. And in fact, Lee Strobel in his book, The Case for Faith, he said it this way. He said, for many Christians, merely having doubts of any kind can be scary. Sometimes you think, am I the only one of my whole friend circle that ever thinks about these things? They, they wonder whether their questions disqualify them from being a follower of Christ. They feel insecure because they're not sure whether it's permissible to express uncertainty about God, Jesus, or the Bible. So they keep their questions to themselves and inside unanswered, and then they grow and they fester until they eventually succeed in choking out their faith. And at Life Church, we want to create environments where, where we can live with honesty and transparency and, and talk openly about the things that we're wrestling with. And so I want to chat with you a little bit today about this whole doubt thing. And I want to show you a handful of my, my favorite doubters in the Bible. Here's the truth. When I wrestle with doubt, I am in good company. Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, go over to Luke seven eighteen. The disciples of John the Baptist reported all these things to him, and John calling two of his disciples. So the context here is John is in jail. He's in prison. He may or may not know that in just a short time, he will have his head chopped off. And he sends his disciples over to Jesus, and the question is, are you the one who was to come, or shall we look for another? Now, mind you, this is the same guy that Jesus said, of everyone who's ever been born ever, there's no one greater than John. The same guy that baptized Jesus, Jesus is in the water with this guy. When the Holy Spirit comes and we hear this voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You think if that was enough to make you never doubt Jesus, that would be enough but some time has passed and John had an idea of how his life was gonna go and how Jesus's mission was gonna go and it hasn't worked out like that and now he finds himself in a jail cell. Jesus hasn't ushered in this earthly kingdom that everyone expected him to do and so now some doubts are creeping in and so he has his friends go and say, are you the one or should we keep looking? He says, John the Baptist sent to us, are you the one or shall we look for another? And in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight and he answered them. And he said, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind received their sight. 
Now what Jesus is doing here is he's sort of giving a little paraphrase, a compilation of a handful of messianic prophecies from the book of Isaiah that, that talk about the, the lame walking, the blind seeing, uh, that the, the deaf hearing, that talk about the poor being cared for and talk about prisoners being set free. Jesus here is kind of summarizing a handful of these prophecies in Isaiah. He says, go and tell John you've seen and heard the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And so what Jesus says is he quotes all of these, uh, these messianic prophecies from Isaiah, kind of puts them all together and he says, go and tell them, hey, you're seeing these prophecies fulfilled. Now, the one thing that Jesus doesn't say is he doesn't include the, the prophecy that talks about the prisoners being set free. So the message to John is, I am the one, but you're not getting set free. And, and so it's this fascinating response, though, the way that Jesus responds to John's doubts. But we see that the same guy that baptized Jesus, that Jesus said was the greatest person ever born, a woman that, that, that he was the greatest, he's got these incredible doubts. Are you really the one? And then we see another, I think, a one of the most profound stories of doubt, pictures of doubt we see in Matthew 28. If you grew up in a church like mine, you have heard a lot that that little the verse, Matthew 28, verse 18, go and make disciples, the whole world, baptize them and teach them and, and, and go to the whole world. And, and it's this very well-known verse, but the verse right before Matthew 28, 18 and, and 19 and 20, we, we see here in verse 16 and 17. After Jesus had been raised from the dead for a while, after the disciples had been hanging out with him for a number of days, they'd, they'd eaten with him on numerous occasions. It says this, Matthew 28, 16 and 17. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. This is right before he's gonna ascend to the Father. It says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted one of the reasons these, these kind of stories are some of the reasons that I have greater trust in the veracity of the gospel accounts. Because some of the stuff that we see in the New Testament, if you were making it up, you just wouldn't make it up this way. You wouldn't make it up where, where the most respected leader in the early church betrays Jesus, um, this, uh, says he doesn't know Jesus on three different times. You wouldn't make it up where the, the, the most influential guy has this kind of scandal like that. And you wouldn't make it up at this moment where the disciples are seeing the resurrected Jesus and say, you wouldn't make it up and say, and yeah, we were worshiping him, but some still had their doubts. A couple of things I like about this story is we see that, that doubt is not a disqualifier from worship. That in those moments when we're wrestling with the toughest questions in life, it's not a moment not to worship. It says they, they, they were all worshiping, but there were some that were still, you know, you know why I think they were doubting? I think it's the same reason we doubt sometimes. As I think they were doubting because it felt too good to be true. It felt too good to, to be true. I think there's moments when we read the scriptures and, and, and we look at just this broken world we find ourselves in and then we read the scriptures and look at these promises of God and his intentions towards us. And I think sometimes there's part of us that's like, man, that feels almost too good to be true. And, and so if you find yourself having moments of doubt, you find yourself in good company. It's a, I, I believe this, if you never, if you're a Christian, and you never have meaningful doubts, one of two things is true. There's a five or 10% chance that God's just given you an extra measure of faith. 
And there's like a 90 to 95% chance you're just not a very deep thinker. (laughs) It's one of those two things. The odds are not in your favor. Here's what the Christian philosopher William Lane Craig says. Any Christian who is intellectually, intellectually engaged and reflecting about his faith will inevitably face the problem of doubt. Now, I wanna point this out to you. There's a big difference between honest doubt and cynical skepticism. There's a, there's a big question between just, or there's a big difference between wondering and just wrestling with, well, if this is true, what does this mean? And if this is true, what does this mean? And, and how, how, how does all this work out? Having some honest doubts is very different than cynical skepticism. And there's a difference between wrestling with doubt and choosing unbelief. I think the the reason many people choose to to not believe the claims of Christ is because to believe them means that that they're no longer in charge of their life. And so they don't like the implications. and And so it's not a matter of just honest doubt and wrestling. It's really a different thing of cynical skepticism or choosing unbelief. As World War II was winding down, Uh, General Eisenhower uh, wrote this letter to George Marshall. He said this. He writes this about a visit to a concentration camp in Germany. He He said, the things I saw beggar description. The visual evidence and the verbal testimony of starvation, cruelty, and bestiality were so overpowering as to leave me a bit sick. I made the visit deliberately in order to be in position to give firsthand evidence of these things. If ever in the future that it develops a tendency to charge these allegations merely to propaganda. He then ordered the document, collection of documentation of the Holocaust resulting in 80,000 feet of film footage, which was used as evidence in the Nuremberg trials. He collected numerous photos, including ones of himself at concentration camps to provide evidence of firsthand witness. See, Eisenhower recognized that there's gonna be some people that, that, that later will deny the atrocities of the Holocaust. And so he said, I'm going to collect irrefutable evidence so that they can never be denied. But there's still people in the world, there was a survey in the UK a number of years ago that, that showed that, that, that uh, 5% of adults in the UK deny that the Holocaust ever happened. Another 12, uh, an, uh, one in 12 believes it's grossly overstated. In America, the stats about 3% of Americans deny that it ever happened. And 7% say it's grossly exaggerated. What, what we see is this. What we see in in the case of of those people is we see despite profound evidence, which most would say is irrefutable, some people just choose not to believe because they don't like the implications of if this is true, then it means that this is true. And so they, they, they have a cynical skepticism or choosing unbelief. That is different than wrestling with honest doubt. See, here's the truth. If you, if, if you wrestle with doubt, you find yourself in good company. And conscious doubt is actually healthier than unconscious disbelief. One of my favorite doubters in the scripture, we find him in Mark chapter nine and verse 14. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. This is right after the moment of transfiguration on the mount, mountain there. It says, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. 
What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. We, in our time today, we'd say that kid had a severe case of epilepsy, very likely. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus said, you unbelieving generation, he replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? But bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you, and then the man, the dad says this, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, this is one of the most honest statements we see in the scripture. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. See, when Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him Again, see what we see in this father here is he is aware of the doubts he has. He is aware that, that he's not sure he, he's, if, if, if Jesus can really help him and so he just owns it. He, he, Jesus says, everything's possible to the one who believes and then the dad says, I do believe, but then he realizes that statement's only half true. There's, there's, there's belief in him, but it's also mixed with, with some real doubt. And so he just owns it. He's conscious of it and he owns it. And he says it out loud. And so here's the truth. This thing of conscious doubt, if you recognize, hey, there's moments where I wonder, is God real? There's moments where I wonder, does God hear my prayers? There's moments where I wonder about the claims of Jesus. And if this is the case, how, what about this? And you are aware of the fact that there's moments that you wrestle with real doubt. You're conscious of it. Conscious doubt is so much healthier than unconscious disbelief. It's better to actually be aware that you're having real doubts. This father was very aware. He just, uh, he says, I, I believe, but help, my, help me with my doubts. Help my unbelief. It's better to actually be aware you're having real doubts, whether that be about God's existence, his goodness, his power, the truth of his word, his love for you, the truth of the gospel. It's better to be aware, even to voice them out loud and wrestle with them than to have multiple areas of what I would call unconscious disbelief. See, conscious, conscious, the awareness of conscious doubts far healthier than what I would call unconscious disbelief. See, unconscious disbelief is where in my head and with my mouth, I say that something's true. But if I truly believed this to the core of my person, my life would look significantly different. It's an area of disbelief that we're not even aware of, that we would say with our head and say with our mouths, well, sure, I believe that. The Bible says that I believe it. That's the end of it. And people that say that are always fun to have conversations with. Um, and, and so you say, yeah, I, I, I believe it in my head and I say it with my mouth. But if I really believed it fully, to the core of my being, if my belief wasn't mixed with some disbelief, then my, my, look, my life would look meaningfully different. And so the father in this story is aware of his doubts. The religious leaders that they were arguing with were unaware of their disbeliefs. 
See, I really believe that as Christians, these areas of unconscious disbelief really is the root of most of our issues in our lives. Issues where our lives don't live up to God's very best for us. Issues where we fall into sin. I believe most of these, at the very root of them, are issues of unconscious disbelief. Disbelief. See, here's the truth. If I really believed that giving to the poor was lending to the Lord, if I really believed that 100% to the core of my being, I mean, I think God pays his debts, probably pays good interest. If I, re, if I didn't have a level of unconscious disbelief in that area, if I really believe that giving to the poor is lending to the Lord and that he always pays his debts, I, I would give a lot more to the poor. If I really believed that God longs to answer my prayers, if, I didn't, if that wasn't mixed with some unconscious disbelief where I know it in my head, I say it with my mouth, but my life doesn't reflect it, there's, there's this mix of unconscious disbelief. If I, if I didn't have some of that, I, I would definitely pray more. If I really believed that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose, more than just in my head and with my mouth, but if it really wasn't mixed with some unconscious disbelief, it was, if I believed it 100% to the core of my being, I, I would literally never worry. I'd never live in panic and anxiety if I, if, I, if I didn't have a mix of this unconscious disbelief, if I really believed that all, that all things work together for good. To those who love God and are called according to his purpose, I'd stress out much less. If I really believed that, that God had given me this mission here to point people towards him, if that wasn't mixed with some unconscious disbelief, then I, I would definitely point more people to Jesus. If I really believed that the path to greatness was service, not just in my head and with my words, but if it wasn't mixed with some unconscious disbelief, but if I really believed it to the core of who I am, I would just, I mean, I wanna be great. Who doesn't wanna be great? I definitely would serve more. If I really believe that the way I treat the least of these is how I'm treating Jesus and will impact my eternal condition, that, that I, I would definitely, if that wasn't just something in my head and with my words, but if it was really to the core of who I am, not mixed with some unconscious disbelief, then my life would definitely look different in that area. And so I, I really believe it's better to be in a situation where you have some conscious doubts Sometimes I wonder how all this works out or I wonder about this or I wonder about this and it's better to, to have some conscious doubts than, than to go through life with a whole bunch of unconscious areas of disbelief. Things we say we believe but really at the core of our being we don't 100% believe them and we're not even really aware of them. So a really powerful thing to do in your life and in your prayer life is to ask God to reveal as, as you read the scriptures to be prayerfully saying, God, as I'm reading this, would you reveal to me the areas of my life where I'm, or I have areas of this unconscious disbelief, areas that I don't believe and don't even know I don't believe? We all have got them. Really what this is, is it's a part of what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, about being renewed, by, by, by being transformed by the renewal of our mind. 
It's really these areas of, of, of unconscious disbelief transferring to being, becoming areas of, of conscious disbelief. And then ultimately, as God's spirit works in our life, ultimately becoming areas of conscious belief where, where it's no longer, I, I wasn't fully believing and didn't know, but I became aware that I wasn't fully believing and surrendered those things to God. And as I engaged the scriptures and his spirit worked in my life, those areas of, of unconscious disbelief became fewer and smaller and to a smaller degree. It's this whole idea of, of, of the renewing of our minds being transformed this way. Proverbs 23, seven, as a man thinks, so is he. And so it's really a ton healthier to have areas of conscious doubt where I say, well, and sometimes I wonder, is God, is God hearing me? Is he real? When we wrestle with these, is Jesus the only way? When we wrestle with these things, it's better to be in a place of conscious doubt than a spot of unconscious disbelief. Here's the third truth. Diagnosing the root of my doubt is very helpful. See, sometimes we, have, we, have, we struggle with doubt for lots of reasons. Sometimes we simply struggle because of the, because of the world we live in, the influence of our culture. In Mark 9, 19, Jesus is talking to, to that culture. He says, you unbelieving generation. Sometimes, and we live in a time where, 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 where doubt and deconstruction are celebrated and we're taught to trust no one and to question everything. And sometimes the reason people fall into meaningful doubt is they just end up being surrounded by people that, that, that are, 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 are propagating doubt. Propagating, and it's not simply from an honest questioning, but really kind of with more of an agenda, kind of that, that, that cynical skepticism or that person that despite the fact that there's meaningful evidence is choosing not to believe simply because if they were to believe, too much would have to change in their life. We live, in, and so because of this, this strong anti-supernatural bias and, and many people that have an openness to the supernatural, the supernatural or, or the God that they're open to is a God that looks a lot like them and thinks a lot like them and has the same morals and values that they do. And so we live in a time where, where, where it's very easy for doubts to creep in simply because of the culture that we live. Sometimes doubts creep in because of uh, and most in moments of difficulty. If God really loved me, why is this happening? If God answers prayer, why hasn't this prayer been answered? Sometimes it can come from difficult circumstances. We see that with this father here. Maybe his whole life, no doubt, he'd been praying that God would, would heal his son. And it hadn't happened, and it hadn't happened, and it hadn't happened. So when Jesus said, well, all things are possible to those that believe, he says, man, I wanna believe, but I've got some doubts. And it's because life's just been really hard for him. His whole life dealing with a son, a son that's got all these physical issues and mental and emotional issues, this, this, this demon that's out to kill him. It's, life's been so very, very difficult and the doubts begin to come. Same thing happens to John the Baptist. He's in prison. He's tried to do the right thing his whole life and, and it was doing the right thing that got him in prison and these difficult circumstances. Doubt begins to come. Sometimes it, it, it can even be something going on with us physically. I don't know about you, but I tend to doubt more when I'm really tired. If life's going with difficulty and I'm really tired, it's amazing all the weird stuff that can come in my head. Is that just me or is it just me? All right, whatever. And so, uh, and so sometimes it's difficult circumstances. 
Sometimes what feels like doubt is really discouragement masking itself as doubt or depression that's causing some doubt or even just exhaustion. And so we see with the dad, we see with John the Baptist, these difficult circumstances bring doubt. Disappointment with God or his people. We, we, we have this idea of how life's supposed to go or how God's supposed to work. And then when it doesn't go that way, we begin to get some doubt. We're disappointed with God or his people. And so this dad, he, 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 his, the, the disciples hadn't been able to bring healing. The disciples hadn't been able to drive out the demon. And so there's this disappointment with God's people. John, no doubt, has this disappointment. He has this idea of how it's all gonna go with his ministry and Jesus's ministry, and it's not going like that. And so there's this disappointment with God. And, and so you have someone that, that loses a child and, and they prayed and, and then the child still passed away and it just wasn't how, it's just not how life's supposed to go. And that hurt and that disappointment with God or with God's people begins to bring doubt. See, many have left Jesus or the church because of how Christians have acted. And there's a growing sense that most Christians are narrow-minded, ignorant, angry, or mean-spirited. And, and, and this is not true that most Christians are angry or ignorant or mean-spirited. It is true that the loudest ones tend to be. It is true that the ones that end up on TV tend to be. And so sometimes it's just, and because of that, a whole generation that, that, sees, that, that sees Christianity as too intertwined with politics or angry or mean-spirited or ignorant, a whole generation is, is, is wrestling with, with doubts because of disappointment, not as much with Jesus, but with Jesus' people. And so sometimes that can cause doubt. Sometimes doubts are simply a, a, a cue that you need more information. That was what happened with Thomas, who gets a bad rap. All the other disciples had seen Jesus already raised from the dead. They were living with this benefit that he wasn't living with. And so when he heard about it, he said, well, I gotta see it too. I need some more information. Sometimes it's simply a cue. This is a moment for me to actually not, pre not walk away from Jesus, but press in towards him. I need to get closer to him. Thomas said, I, I, I've got to get close. I, I, I want to put my hands in these wounds, these scars. He said, I, I got to get close. I got to get more information. And sometimes doubts are simply a cue from, for, that, that God wants to use in your life. If this is a moment to, to engage the scriptures more, not less. This is a moment to pray more, not less. This is a moment to, to plug into Christ-centered community more, not less. Here's the final truth and we're done. Embrace your faith and give God your doubts. I love the way that the, the boy's father says it. Jesus said, all things are possible to those that believe. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed. It was, it was as if this statement, it wasn't this prepared statement. It wasn't something that he thought would sound good for the crowd. This way, he said, immediately the, the father exclaimed. It was like this thing was just bursting forth within him. He said, I believe, but part of me doesn't. I believe, help my unbelief. I like the way Eugene Peterson, the message says it in verse 24. He says, no sooner after Jesus said, all things are possible to those that believe. And he says, immediately, no sooner were the words out of his mouth than the father cried. He says, then I believe. Help me with my doubts. 
This is, it's, it's a prayer I pray regularly. In moments when doubt comes in, I, I, I will regularly pray, Jesus, I believe, would you help me with my unbelief? See, when we pray our doubts, embrace your faith, give God your doubts. That's what the Father is doing. He's embracing that he still believes. He, he says, man, I, I still believe, but, uh, but man, your, your disciples weren't able to help him. And I've been praying for this literally since this child was born. And he says, so because of that, because life's been really hard and God hasn't worked the way I thought it, he was gonna work and life hasn't turned out the way I thought it was gonna. He says, so because of that, man, I, I believe I really want to believe, but part of me still got some doubts. It's just this incredibly honest prayer. Jesus, I believe. Would you help my unbelief? Jesus, I believe. Would you help me with my doubts? We we pray your doubts. When you begin to wrestle with doubt, turn them, just like this father did, turn them into prayers. Just a simple prayer like he prayed, Jesus, I believe. But this whole thing's got me questioning some stuff. The way these people who say that they know, have known you and walk with you and love you, the way they acted, it's causing me to have some doubts. When I think about some of the complexities of the universe and science and what science says and, what, and, and then how I read your word and all of this, it's causing me to wrestle with some doubts. And so Jesus, I believe, but would you help me with my unbelief? Pray your doubts. And then when doubt comes... See, our instinct is to feel shame, like we're the only one that's ever had it, not to say it out loud, and then to begin to withdraw from the community of faith. But when doubt comes, it's a great moment to surround yourself with faith. See, sometimes we actually need to borrow faith from each other. There's moments where life's so hard and we're so tired and all we can see is what's wrong in the world that we need to borrow some faith. I read a really cool story about this. It says his book, Stories for the Journey, William White shares the story of Hans, a European seminary professor devastated by the death of his wife. So this is a guy who dedicated his whole life to teaching pastors. I mean, this guy knew Jesus. He knew the Bible. He'd given his whole life to training up pastors, but he lost the love of his life, Enid. Enid was so overcome with sorrow that he lost his appetite, and didn't want to leave the house. Out of concern, the seminary president, along with three other professors, paid Hans a visit. The grieving professor confessed that he was struggling with doubt. I'm no longer able to pray to God, he admitted to his colleagues. In fact, I'm not certain I believe in God anymore. Because life didn't go the way he thought. And he was depressed. And he was discouraged. And he wasn't eating. If you want to have some doubts and you're not having like a season of intentional fasting, just miss a couple of meals. You miss a couple of meals and don't replace your meals with prayer, everything just begins to feel terrible. It's my experience. And so uh, he's not eating, he's lost his wife, he's depressed. He said, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. And after a moment of silence, the seminary president said, I love this line, maybe you need to be this in someone's life. He said, then we will believe for you. We will pray for you. The four men continued to meet daily for prayer, asking God to restore the gift of faith to their friend. Some months later, as the four friends gathered to pray with Hans, Hans smiled and said, it's no longer necessary for you to pray for me. Today, I would like you to pray with me. I believe everyone in this room 
whether you realize it or not, probably falls in one of two categories, maybe both. Some would say, you know what, I am in a, a season or recently have been in a season or maybe it's been a long season of, of wrestling with some conscious doubts. Wondering about how does it all work? Is God real? Is he good? Does he care for me? Is the gospel true? Is, can God's word be trusted? And why do Christians act so much unlike Jesus sometimes? Whatever it is. And, and you have, have been in a season of, of conscious doubt. And, and I wanna encourage you to allow your doubts to cause you to move towards Jesus. Like Thomas said, he said, I gotta get close. Maybe let it, be, let it be a moment that causes you to pursue more knowledge about Jesus. Thomas said, I gotta get close and I gotta see it and I've gotta touch it. I've gotta touch these wounds. Let, let, it, let it be something that causes you to, to move towards prayer and pray honest prayers like this father. Say, Jesus, I believe, but I've got some doubts. Let it be a moment where, where, where you move towards others and say, hey, for this season, can I borrow some of your faith? So maybe you're in a season of some conscious doubt. Or maybe today you've realized there's areas of your life where, where and I believe there's areas in all of our lives, where, where there's areas of this unconscious disbelief, just basic things that are true in God's word, that aren't gray areas, that aren't peripheral things, but just things that are just, just really clear. And we would say we believe them in our heads and we would say them out loud with our mouths, but if you were to really look at our lives, there's a disconnect. There's some unconscious disbelief there. I believe all of us fall into at least one of those categories. I'm just gonna pray for us. Maybe for you, maybe it, there really are some conscious doubts about big things that you regularly wrestle with or have been wrestling with in these seasons and, and maybe even just in the quietness of your heart, maybe you just just. Give those to God, just like that dad. He said, Jesus, I believe, but would you help me with my doubts? So Father, I do just wanna pray. Lord, for those, probably a lot of people who just wrestle just wrestle with doubt from time to time. And Lord, we, we rejoice that we worship a God who's not scared of our doubt. And God, we rejoice that we worship a God who meets us in the place where we actually are, not the place where we wish we were. And so God, we, we just, I just wanna pray, Lord, for, for those who like that dad, like John the Baptist, like Thomas, like those disciples right before you ascended into heaven, worshiping, but even as they're worshiping, there's still some questions like, this just feels too good to be true. So God, would you help us to be a people that don't pretend that we never have doubts, that doubt doesn't bring shame and isolation, but that it causes us to step towards you in prayer, giving our doubts to you, pursuing your truth and, and your scripture, pursuing Christian community where we, where we can lend and borrow faith from one another for seasons where our faith is weak. And then Lord, I, I pray that 
for those of us that that's not the biggest issue. That it's not as much conscious doubts. We've wrestled through most of those or just that. This isn't the thing in this season. The God, that you would reveal as we engage your word, that your spirit would reveal to us these areas in our life, which are many, where there's elements of unconscious disbelief. Our head believes it, our mouth would say it, but it's not, but there's some unconscious disbelief that causes it to not be the reality enough in our lives. I pray that you, God, that we'd be aware that that's even a thing. And God, that you would reveal those things to us. God, that you would renew our minds. Transform us by renewing our minds so that belief would run deep and impact the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.